0: So we we live in a world where um, every single day we are really bombarded with with lies, with misinformation, with with what a lot of people call fake news. And in a world like this, where we receive all of this information, it's first of all I think it's very hard to know what's true, and I think we all experience that. But I think even even more at a deeper level than that, I think we're losing our confidence about whether we can know that there's truth at all. So not only is it difficult for us to discern whether we can know what we're reading is true or not, but even at a a deeper level, we're losing confidence that we can even know the truth at all. And today, we want to look at the book of Titus. And in the book of Titus, Paul, at the very beginning... Reminds us that as followers of Jesus that we have access to knowledge Real knowledge of the truth Let's pray Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today through your word We thank you that you have given us access to knowledge To real knowledge of the truth And this knowledge of the truth leads to godliness A righteous way of life And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear the truth and that we would go from this place and live it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be looking at the book of Titus this week and next. Titus was a a young friend of Paul that Paul mentored and, and sent to be a leader of the church. And Paul eventually sent Titus to the island of Crete for the purpose of bringing some order and discipline to some of the house churches that had started on the island. Crete is is an island right in the center of the Mediterranean Sea, and so it was an important and strategic place for the gospel because there are, were lots of people who would be traveling through the Mediterranean Sea, and they would stop at one of the Crete, uh, ports in Crete's the, the harbor cities in Crete, and there was a lot of inter, um, exchange, interaction, and selling of goods. And, um, and so this was a strategic place for a healthy church to be because there were so many people coming in and out. But the challenging thing is that the cities of Crete were infamously wicked cities, even for the Roman Empire. Over time, to be called a Cretan was an insult. Cretan meant liar. It, to be called a Cretan was to be called a liar or a crook. And in addition to, uh, to the way that the people of Crete lived, and I think this influenced the way that they lived, the people of Crete worshipped the god Zeus. And in the mytholo- mythology of Zeus, um, Zeus was born on the island of Crete. And in the stories of Zeus, he himself was a liar who tricked people and who sedu- seduced women in order to get what he wanted and to get his own way. And as you read through the letter of Titus, it's clear that the culture of Crete had begun to influence the church in Crete more than the church in Crete was influencing the culture of Crete. Uh, Some of the corrupt leaders of Crete had become leaders in the church and were leading the church astray in one way or another. And so Paul sends Titus to straighten things out, to bring clarity to the churches in Crete about what it means to follow Jesus, to teach the truth in this island, in these cities full of lies and corruption, and to teach people and leaders of Crete what it meant to to be a leader of the church, or what it meant to be um, an older man or an older woman in the church, or what it meant to be a husband or a wife or a child or a slave, and to teach what the qualifications even of a Christian leader needed to be. And so we're going to look at this book very briefly over the next two weeks. We're actually not going to walk through the entire book. We're going to spend our time in the first four verses of Titus. And the rest of the book really fleshes out the themes of these first four verses in the book of Titus. And so if you would please open your Bibles to the book of Titus chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Titus 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Paul writes to Titus, and he says, I'm an apostle or an ambassador or a messenger, And I'm a messenger for the faith and knowledge that leads to godliness, and for the faith and knowledge that rests on the hope of eternal life. And these are the two themes that we are going to be looking at the next two weeks. Uh, This week, we're going to look at the faith and knowledge that leads to godliness, and next week, the knowledge that rests on the hope of eternal life. And the rest of Paul's letter, and I'll I'll use some illustrations throughout our time, really flesh out these two ideas. Paul says that followers of Jesus have knowledge of the truth. And I just want to pause for a moment and acknowledge what a radical statement that is today. Paul is making a claim that followers of Jesus can know the truth. Paul writes to Titus and says, I am a messenger of the truth, and I am sent to God's chosen people to tell them about the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And Titus, I'm calling you to go and to be a messenger there, too. Go and communicate knowledge of the truth to the churches in Crete. Go and communicate the truth to them so that they can live good and upright godly lives on that island where people are confused And believe lies. Now, by saying that, by Paul saying that he has knowledge of the truth, Paul isn't claiming that he knows everything. He isn't claiming that he possesses all of the truth, and that there's uh, everything that he knows, and that he has nothing to learn. He is simply stating that there is such thing as truth, and that followers of Jesus have access to it and can live their lives by it going to talk a little bit about philosophy here, so I need you to think, okay? Throughout the last thousands, through thousands of years, there have been three questions that philosophy, it's philosophers, and different leaders of religions have asked. The first question simply is, who are we? What does it mean to be a human? Why are we here? Who, Who are we as human beings? And then the other question is, what is the goal of human life? What is our end? Where are we going? And, and, and then the, the second question, the middle question, is how do we live in order to get from where we are now to where we are going? And this is the question of ethics. How do we live in order to go from where we are right now as human beings and as a society, as nations, and then how do we move towards our goal? Now, all different philosophies and religions have different answers to all three of these questions, but these are the questions that they were asking. These were the questions that they were asking, but over time, something has happened in Western culture. We have decided that we cannot or should not try to even answer the last question of what is the goal of human life. We've come to believe that we can't and we shouldn't try to answer that, that it's relative, that each person, each individual, each society should decide. No one knows the truth of the end goal of human life, or to say it better, everyone has their own truth to that question, and so we shouldn't try to impose that on other people. So what do we do then with ethics? With the question of how we should live if we don't know where we're going? If we don't have a goal, what happens? What gets filled in this space of how we should live? And I will There's lots of reasons for why this question has been discounted. Um, Millions of reasons that I'm not near smart enough to tell you why it's been that way. But this is where we are. And I want to suggest to you that what fills in the gap of this ethics question, the question of how we should live, is simply then determined by who yells the loudest. Whoever yells the loudest. Ethics has been replaced By trying to yell the loudest, to be the biggest bully, or to be the most wounded victim, and to yell the loudest. And all of us see this every single day in our news feeds on social media, and in journalism in general. Journalism is is not concerned in any way any longer with telling the truth but by getting a larger audience. And so we're flooded every day with clickbait and with fake news and with misinformation and with disinformation because we've filled this gap of ethics, this question of how we should live, with just volume. Because everyone knows that whoever can scream the loudest gets to decide where we're going. And this relativism has seeped into every single one of our lives, and none of us are immune to it. And certainly we have seen that evangelical Christians are not immune to this. For decades, we were the group in our country who believed that we have a true answer to the goal of human life and what society ought to look like. And because of that, we rightly said that morals and characters matter in our leaders. But in the last 10 years, we've abandoned that idea along with the world because we have found politicians who can scream the loudest for our agendas. And so we're living in, and we are, the product of what some people call a post-truth world, that we cannot know the truth. And we've come to substitute truth for whatever is pleasing to me. Truth is whatever is pleasing to me or useful to me, Or convenient to me. And Paul is writing to Titus and he is sending him to this place that has a very similar view of things that we have in our own culture today. To be a Cretan was to be a liar, to be a person who lived in a society that had abandoned the truth, and that you could lie if it meant getting your own way. And so I just want to stop for a moment and just acknowledge how truly radical Paul's opening phrase is for us. Paul says that followers of Jesus can know the truth. And Titus, I want you to go to Crete and to teach them about this truth. And Paul says that knowledge of the truth leads to something. That it leads to godliness. It leads to godliness. It's a knowledge that leads to godliness. It leads to a right way to live. It's the knowledge that leads us to act and to live like Jesus. Having knowledge has a purpose, and that is to live a godly life. The purpose of acquiring knowledge is not to win arguments on Facebook. The purpose of knowledge is not to feel superior to other people, because we know something that they don't. Possessing knowledge, understanding the truth of things, has a purpose, and that purpose is godliness. Knowledge, true knowledge, is given to us by the mercy of God to promote a godly life. That is for the benefit not only of ourselves, but for everyone around us. Turn to chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, verse 8. In the first part of uh, Titus chapter 3, Paul gives some instructions about how to live, and then he says this. He says, I want you to stress these things to the people in Crete and to the churches in Crete, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Titus, I want you to go to Crete and to teach the followers of Jesus there the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness so that the church there can be an influence for godliness on that island. Broadway Christian Church, we know the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of the truth, so that we can live a godly life, so that we can be an influence for godliness in our city, in our neighborhood, around us. Jesus says it a little bit differently. Jesus was a great teacher and used a lot of images and metaphors, and he tells us that that followers of Jesus are salt in the world. And we primarily think of salt as something that makes our food taste better, but in Jesus' day it was used primarily as a preservative. They didn't have freezers and refrigerators, and so they used salt to preserve their food, to preserve what is good, to keep food from becoming rotten. Followers of Jesus who live in the world with the knowledge of what is true, we are here to keep the world from becoming as rotten as it otherwise would be. So to use the example I used before, when we abandon the idea that character and morals matter in our leaders, we lose our saltiness. We lose an opportunity to keep the world from becoming rotten in that particular way. To make things more personal, you are called to be salt in your workplace. When you are a believer in the workplace and people know it, the conversations should change around you. People should know that you are an honest person, that you refuse to lie or to cheat or to steal to win some advantage. We aren't cretins. We're Christians. And so our honest lives are salt. They're meant to preserve honesty in our communities and in our organizations. Racist jokes aren't told around us because they know that we won't stand for it. Women are spoken of with respect because they know that we won't stand for otherwise. Your presence in a room as a follower of Jesus is meant to be salt there. To preserve that room from being as rotten as it otherwise would be. So Paul writes a letter to Titus, and he tells him that, Titus, you are a messenger of the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. And Titus, I'm sending you with these instructions of the truth for the sake of the church and for the sake of the whole island of Crete, so that the church in Crete will be salt there so that the presence of the church on that island will change the heart and the character of the people there, so that the people of Crete will no longer be liars, but will be known as people of truth. Paul is a messenger of the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And he sent Titus to do the same in Crete, and I suggest that he does the same for us too, and sends us in the same way. And friends, this... this, call to be sent as bearers of the knowledge of the truth doesn't have to be, shouldn't really be, some big and flashy production. You don't have to wear a neon sign that says you're a liar and I'm not. You just do the things. You just do the things that Jesus tells us to do. You just do the things that the scriptures tell us to do, and you will be salt. Read through Titus this week. And there are instructions for older men and older women. There's instructions for husbands and wives. There's all sorts of instructions for you. Read it. And if that portion applies to you, seek to do that in a very real and tangible way this week. And you will be salt wherever you go. Sometimes you'll know the ways that you're preserving that room or that place or that home or that neighborhood. But most of the time you won't know it. But you will be salt when you obey the teachings of Jesus and live according to the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So I want us to think a little bit about how we go about being people who are confident that we have the knowledge of real truth that leads to godliness. And so I want to talk about four things, two things that we can't do and two things that we must do two things that we can't do. First, we can't give up on the idea that knowledge of the truth is available to us. We cannot believe the lie that we are told that that last question of the end goal of human beings is a question that we can't come to some truth to. Through the life of Jesus and the scriptures, we are given real knowledge. Knowledge of reality. Knowledge of God. Knowledge of what it means to live a good and virtuous and godly life. And as followers of Jesus, we can't surrender the truth that we can know God and that he, through his son Jesus and through the scriptures, has given us knowledge of how to live a good and virtuous life. If we give up this idea, we will simply be one more group of people in the world that is trying to scream the loudest. As followers of Jesus, we cannot believe this idea that knowledge of the truth is unavailable, or we will fight and fight and fight just to get what we want. Instead, let's remember that we have been invited into a relationship with Jesus the way and the truth, and the life. We do have access to the knowledge of the truth, and it is truth that leads to godliness. It is truth that leads to life and joy and peace, and it is a truth that leads to the good, something to things that are excellent and profitable for everyone around us. The second thing that we can't do is that we can't allow our knowledge to make us proud. Knowledge can be dangerous. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 says this, We know that we all possess knowledge. I've just told you today that you can possess knowledge. And Paul acknowledges that, that you can possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think that they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So we can't give up on the idea that knowledge is available to us, but we can't allow our knowledge to make us proud. 1 Corinthians tells us that knowledge puffs up. Back in in the the 90s, there's a a news story of, of a man named MacArthur Wheeler. And uh, one day, he he went to try to rob a bank. And in order to rob a bank, he, he put lemon juice on his face. Because he believed that that lemon juice would make his face invisible to the security cameras. This is a true story. He knew that lemon juice could be used as invisible ink, and so he thought that if he put lemon juice on his face that that would make his face invisible to the security cameras. And so when the police went to arrest him, he said, but I wore the juice. It's a true story. After this happened, there were a couple of sociologists who had been doing some work on what it means to know things. Their names were Dunning and Kruger, and uh, they began to do some studies on why it is we get so confident— when we know a little bit. And they put together what's known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. And they put this, this graph up, and the way that it works is that the, the knowledge, if, if you have a little bit of knowledge in, the, in, in a field, that you are very confident that you know everything there is to know about that. But that as you go and as you learn more about that field, your confidence actually decreases. As you learn more about something, you, you go down to the point where you're sure you, know, you don't know anything at all. And so it kind of goes like this. When you first learn about a particular topic, you think, I know everything. And then you begin to learn a little bit more and you realize, hmm, there's a little bit more here than I thought. And then you keep learning and you think... I am never going to understand this. And then finally, you have to get to that point until you then get to the point where you can actually make a contribution of the knowledge that you have. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect. And I want to say that it's time to do some self-reflection because we saw a lot of this in the last year. Last year, we all encountered a topic epidemiology, where we didn't have very much knowledge. Very few of us had ever thought really anything at all about viruses until last year. But in March, all of a sudden, our lives are being turned upside down by a virus. And so what did we do? Rightly so. We sought out information. We sought knowledge. And we all got a little bit of it, We went from here, we went to there, gathering knowledge, or at least information. Most of it probably wasn't knowledge, but at least it was information. We read an article, we heard some doctor or expert talking, and they said something that we liked. They said something that in our fear, our disappointment, our views about what was going on, they said something that we liked or agreed with, and all of a sudden we became an expert in epidemiology. There was Monday in March last year where I did not know what an epidemiologist was. And on Tuesday afternoon, I was an epidemiologist. (laughs) We all thought that we'd become experts and we'd really just become fools who collectively put lemon juice on our faces. We decided we knew things that we did not and could not know. Knowledge puffs up. Every little bit of knowledge that we acquire gives us the illusion that we are somebody. And that we have power and influence and control over our lives. And so we need to take into account the whole counsel of Scripture that tells us both that knowledge of the truth is available to us and to be aware that that knowledge can do something to us. It can puff us up and make us proud. I've had the privilege of of sitting under some of the most brilliant theologians and philosophers in in my schooling. And the ones that are the most brilliant are the ones that are the most humble. They're the ones that have gone through that whole (laughs) journey— coming to the point where they don't know if they really are ever going to be able to figure this out. And because of that humility, that the vast—how vast the sources of knowledge really are caused them to be humble and then to offer simply what they actually found that they actually knew, rather than offering a bunch of things that they thought that they knew. Knowledge must be joined together with humility— Paul tells us that we know in part, that we see right now as a reflection dimly, as in a a dim, dirty mirror. We can know the truth, and it's important to remember that we can know the truth, but to remember that we know it in part. We do have knowledge. We do have access to the knowledge of the truth. But our volume of knowledge is very, very small compared to what it is actual, actually possible to know. Let's say that again. That our, the volume of your knowledge is small compared to what is possible to actually know. And most of the times, we don't even know what we don't know. And much of our learning, much of our education, is about learning how much there really is to know. And so many times I suggest that as Christians, as followers of Jesus in the world, we need to be willing to say, I don't know. Saying I don't know is not the same thing as saying there is no truth to be known. It's just saying I don't know it. It's being honest with ourselves and with other people about it. If we think we have to go into the world with all the answers, we are going to look like a fool very quickly. So the two things we can't do to give up on the idea that knowledge of the truth is available to us, and second, is to not allow us, allow our knowledge to make us proud. So let's consider the two things that we must do. First, is to seek knowledge through being a disciple of Jesus. To seek knowledge through discipleship to Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 says that in Christ is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the Greek word for all there means all. All of it. Every bit of it. We come to know God and we come to know the truth about our world and about what it means to live a good and wise life. We can learn that from Jesus by being his disciple. And disciple is a bit of a churchy word. We don't typically use that word a whole lot outside of the church. But uh, as one of my favorite teachers, Dallas Willard, says so clearly, to be a disciple is to simply be a student of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, that we are called to learn from Jesus how to live our lives if he were us. How to to learn from Jesus, how we should live our lives if he were us. And I've been listening a lot, to. Just really grateful for this man and what he's taught me. He's one of my favorite teachers, and he has this very simple way of calling us to live as a student of Jesus and to, to, to learn from him because he is the one who holds all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Dallas reminds us that Jesus is the smartest person that has ever lived. I don't think we often think of Jesus as smart, but he was. He's the smartest person that ever lived. And believing in him, having faith in Jesus, means that we trust that his teachings about how to live our lives are the best and most practical teaching about what it means to live a truly joy-filled life. We believe that Jesus is the smartest person that has ever lived. He knows more about the human soul than any psychiatrist. He knows more about human relationships than any counselor. He knows more about your marriage and your relationships than anyone else. He knows how those things should go. And we can learn from him through his teaching how to live in such a way that brings true joy and true peace. We believe this. We believe that Jesus holds all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in himself and that his instructions, if we will live by them, are not a burden, but are an invitation into a new way of life in the kingdom of God. And we believe that this way of life that he calls us and teaches us to live is the best course of life that will bring health to your life, health to your community, health to your neighborhood, and health to our world. We believe in Jesus. We believe that we can build our life on his teachings. I want to suggest to you that if we are going to be people who truly are going to make an impact in the world, to be as Titus was supposed to be, a person who lived and taught according to the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness, that we need to not only believe that Jesus has the best information about life in the world, but that we actually need to also know it, that we need to have knowledge of it. And we gain knowledge through experience by actually doing the things that Jesus said and then discovering that what he said was true. We come to know the truth by being a disciple of Jesus. I suspect that most of you in here would say, I have faith that Jesus is the smartest person in the world. I have faith that he is the one who knows the best way to handle this difficult relationship in my life. But not a lot of us know it, but because we don't do and try the things that he told us to do. And so we haven't yet discovered for ourselves that what Jesus says is true. But over time, if we put Jesus's words to practice, if we listen to them and do them, if we Bless the person that curses us, and then on the other side, find the freedom that that brings to us. We will not only have faith that Jesus is a good teacher, but that we will know it for ourselves. That if we are to pray for our enemies and to do good to those who hurt us, we might have faith that that's a good idea, but are you doing it? And if you're doing it, you're going to discover that over time that that is the way to true freedom and joy in your own heart and in your own life. You're not only going to have faith that it's true, but you're going to know that it's true. And the world needs people who know the truth that leads to godliness. So, two things that we must do is to seek knowledge through being a disciple of Jesus. And second, to learn how to proclaim the truth in love. In another place, Paul tells us that if we have all knowledge but don't have love, what are we? A clanging gong or symbol. We can have all knowledge, but if we don't have love, then we're just a gong or a clanging symbol. Our knowledge must be joined together with humility, and our knowledge must be joined together with love for God and our neighbor. And if your knowledge is not leading you to love for your neighbor, then either it's not real knowledge, it's not real knowledge about reality, or you're using the knowledge that you have wrong. <laughs> knowledge leads to godliness. True knowledge leads to love for neighbor. Neighbor, We need to be aware of the ways that our knowledge can puff us up and make us proud. If your knowledge of God and the scriptures is not leading you to the fruit of the Spirit, to love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control— then either you don't have knowledge or you're using it in the wrong way. Our proclamation of the truth needs to be done in a humble way that comes from love. We don't proclaim the knowledge of the truth in order to win, in order to be superior or to gain our own advantage. We proclaim the knowledge of the truth for the sake of others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you sent Titus to this island that's perhaps much more similar to our culture than we would want to admit or that we even recognize. Thank you that he was sent there to tell the truth and to proclaim the knowledge of the truth to the people there. And Lord, I pray that we would do the same thing. I pray that we would people, be people who do not give up on the idea that true knowledge of reality is available to us and that we would be a people who recognize and hold knowledge humbly, knowing that you are God, that we are not, and that anything that we have received comes from you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who, who learn learn knowledge from your son, Jesus, that we would, become, we would become his students. And Lord, that through that, that, we would, that our faith would become sight, that we would come to know that he, he is the one who offers us the way and the truth and the life. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who proclaim the truth in a humble way that comes from love. In Christ's name, amen.